the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. You know, the real question today is, has the world slowly turned on Zelensky in the Ukraine-Russia war? Something's going on. It seems to be a very subtle and slow turning away from Zelensky's egomaniacal, crazy behavior. We went on Twitter today before we speak with Colonel McGregor and found these comments. Well, here's the thing that you got to remember. Britain's defense secretary, Ben Wallace, said, quote, the UK is not an Amazon delivery service for weapons to Ukraine and Kiev might be wise to let its supporters see gratitude. That's from UK's defense secretary, Ben Wallace. This Zelensky has played an act that's been working really well. He's exploited the mass hysteria that has been fanned by the neocons in America and the Russophobes around the world. Here's other comments. They were using you all along, Zelensky. You didn't get a NATO invite or even a timeline for membership, despite sending Ukrainians to die in NATO's anachronistic proxy war against Russia. They will betray you just like they did all the rest. They will leave, but you can't. Terrible. Here's another comment. UK got sick of hashtag Zelensky demanding money and weapons, then stamping his feet if he didn't get everything he wanted. He got too greedy especially for his personal rewards for hosting the proxy war. The UK worms have turned. Here's another tweet. A picture is worth a thousand words. NATO have turned their backs on Zelensky. Look at the pictures coming out of the NATO meeting. Without NATO's direct military intervention, Ukraine will perish, making Zelensky a dead man walking. The West sacrificed Ukraine and its people in an attempt to weaken Russia. They failed. Here's another one. Zelensky was always NATO's gopher, trusted to keep forcing Ukrainians into the Russian meat grinder for as long as U.S. corporations stash the cash. Politicians get their kickbacks and he gets his brown envelopes. Very sad. We're going to speak with the great Colonel McGregor momentarily on the Michael Savage podcast. Thank you for listening. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989-898. 
1.98. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989898. We're not waiting for that process to be finished to make the long-term commitments that we're making to Ukraine security. Vladimir and I, we, the, I should, shouldn't be so familiar. Uh, Mr. Zelensky and I uh, talked about the kind of guarantees we could make in the meantime. Colonel McGregor, welcome to the Michael Savage podcast. What a few days it's been, Colonel. Um, I don't know what to call this podcast other than has the world slowly turned on Zelensky and the Ukraine war. And the reason I say that is because of the pictures coming out of the NATO summit of him being standing there alone in his, uh, it looks like a New York uh, garbage man's outfit from the 1950s. When they all, what, what is this with, he wears brand new Abercrombie and Fitch combat boots without a sp- spot, spot of mud on them. I think the act is wearing thin Colonel. What do you think? I think it's an insult to the sanitation engineers in New York City. <laughs> They're good people. Uh, no, but come on. Seriously, we got people dying here. And this guy shows up at the NATO summit after they told him enough is enough. You creep. Stop demanding so much, basically. And he's let to be standing there alone. Well, he's uh, he's in costume. He's going to continue the you know, routine until someone you know, hits the gong, sends out the hook and pulls him off stage. Until then, this is going to continue. And the sad part is that even though you're right, he was getting the cold shoulder from lots of people. You know, he's sort of the uh, proverbial turd in the punch. (laughs) Stop. That uh, as a result, nobody really wants him around. Why why suddenly, though, is it, you know, the cluster bombs worried me and got me very upset because we know these weapons well, I know as a military man, you'll say, well, all weapons are inhumane. And a regular artillery shell hits a trench. It's going to kill everyone and turn them into mincemeat. Right. But as an amateur outsider looking in, I know cluster bombs do it a thousandfold. Nothing can survive a cluster bomb attack, correct? No. Uh, in fact, uh, cluster munitions are only effective against soft targets. Oh, meaning human flesh. Yeah. In other words, it's people, automobiles, trucks, Humvees, things like that. No impact whatsoever on armored fighting vehicles, because we had an enormous problem in 1991 with these cluster munitions because they produced so many duds. So we ended up, after they were fired ahead of us, driving through fields of cluster munitions that had not exploded. So it made no difference to us in the tanks and armored fighting vehicles or the heavy guns that were tracked. But the trucks and the Humvees that were behind us took uh, a terrible beating. And there were some injuries to people who happened to be near one of these things that when it went off, who was dismounted. But the real damage, let's be frank, doctor, the real damage we saw after the war, when we saw children up in the Euphrates River Valley who found these things lying around and were harmed by them. And we actually treated several and evacuated a couple of them back to field hospitals to be treated for the wounds they sustained at the, as a result of these cluster munitions. I was sickened to see that, that, that this president of ours 
has approved the use of cluster bombs for a thousand reasons, not only because of the damage that they do to human life, but the fact that we know these are basically at the end of their lifespan. It's so cynical. It's beyond belief. By what I've read, correct me if I'm mistaken. Oh, these no, cluster, no, you're right. End of their lifespan. They can't be used. So the military industrial complex, pardon me, says, you know what? Let's send them to Zelensky. Let him use them up so we can make new ones. Well, I think it's worse than that. Oh, God, it's please. worse than that. I, I've I had a bad day to begin with. Yeah, well, I, I, I wish I could be the bringer of good news. But on this one, I think it's worse than that. You've got a group of senior officers in the Department of Defense who've never done a good job of preparing us to fight. If you go back to 2001 uh, and 2002, 2003, we discovered very quickly that the body armor we were wearing was anachronistic. It didn't work very well. We needed new body armor. So the question was raised, well, what happened after 1991? We've had 20 years. You mean we haven't tested anything new? We haven't gotten any new helmets, no. haven't gotten any new body armor? The answer was no, we haven't done no. anything. The same thing when it comes to fighting vehicles and wheeled vehicles. Suddenly, we're operating with these Humvees and trucks, and naturally, soldiers aren't going to wait around to be destroyed, so they start welding steel to the sides of these vehicles to protect them against small arms fire. And the question comes up, well, why didn't somebody think of this earlier? Why are we sending people out in vulnerable vehicles? You remember Rumsfeld's answer was, well, you go to war with the army you have. But the right answer was, well, we should go back and fire some of these senior officers that were responsible for this nonsense and did nothing. Shinseki was the man at the time in 2003, and he had no good answers. He yeah. hadn't done any more than his predecessors. Now the question is, we're sending over these Bradleys, and we've seen what has happened to them. Well, the Bradley was already pretty much at the end of its utility in the 80s and the 90s. It was always It always contained too much aluminum. It was always too light. The fuel tanks were underneath the, the floor of the vehicle. There were all sorts of problems with it. Nobody bothered to correct anything. And so we're shipping these things over, and they're not performing very well on the battlefield. Oh, wait, so let me see if I can follow this. We ship them over for what, window dressing, when we know they're useless? And, well, and I don't think that people would accept that argument that they're useless. No, they, have, they still have a very powerful gun system on them. They're still mobile. But the problem is that this is old, obsolete equipment. Most of the Army and the Marines, they've all got obsolete equipment. None of it is new. We need new sets of equipment. We need new organizations. We're still organized to refight World War II. And oh, if wait, you listen wait, to wait, these... Wait, you're miss I think, Colonel, even though you're the expert at military affairs and I'm not, you're missing something very important, which is that we now have a woke Army and and... They can go out there in beautiful outfits now. They can they can fight in high heels. <laughs> lipstick is now provided probably by the, the new leadership. Battlefield lipstick. We're using the Ukrainian soldiers as guinea pigs in a way, aren't we? Well, we've been using them as cannon fodder. It's cannon worse fodder. Than that. These poor these poor human beings have been abused not just by their own leadership, which after all consists of people who are puppets of Washington. Mm. These aren't the people that were originally elected to anything. And remember, Zelensky was elected on a peace platform. I remember he, that. He promised to make peace. With Russia. Yeah, and absolutely. Not and to join NATO. Yeah, and the and next thing he's next, thing you know, he's wearing a Castro Street, a Castro lookalike outfit. 
again, looking as though he just came off the battlefield and the act is one off. Everyone knows he's a fraud. He's just an entertainer puppet. But the question is, Colonel McGregor, you know, I have used the numbers you gave me of the number of Russian dead, the number of uh, Ukrainian dead. Could you give us a current guesstimate of battlefield casualties on both sides? Well, let's uh, how about a snapshot of the last two and a half weeks uh, mm. of the so-called Ukrainian offensive? The Russians have had perhaps 1,500 to 2,000 casualties, of which maybe 200 or 300 have been killed. The Ukrainians, on the other hand, have lost somewhere between 24 and 26,000 dead. Well, we've got to put probably at least that many wounded. That's an amazing and horrible statistic that is not being reported anywhere. And so without uh, challenging you, which I'm not doing, how do we how do you get these figures from people within the know? Is that where you're getting them from? Well, some of these figures are coming into the Western press now. They're sneaking into various newspapers. Somebody showed me a figure for 26,000 Ukrainian dead that, that came from an intelligence officer who managed to slip it to a, a major newspaper. Uh, we've also got reports coming in from the Russians who've actually lowballed the casualties. In fact, that's something people don't realize that the Russians have been rather cautious mm. about claiming to have done as much damage as they've done. Ah. And so they end up adjusting their figures upward over time. So I think initially they thought perhaps 15 to 20,000. Now they're adjusting their figures upward because, of course, they can see the bodies oh. uh, lying on the ground. So, the, you, you know, and then, then, of course, you've got to look at obituaries that are published. You have mm. to look at cemeteries. You know, the Ukrainian cemeteries are chock full. The, the problem is that in Kiev, if you go to or the Ukrainians now call it Kiev, but if you Kiev. go to Kiev, yeah, right. You won't won't see much evidence for war. The Russians have largely refrained from attacking that city. Remember, this is an Orthodox Christian city, which is the birthplace of Christianity in Russia. And so the Russians have been very, very reluctant to, huh. to do any damage to Kiev. So you see people on the streets. It's summertime. It looks great. Yeah. The bars are full. The clubs are full. And yet just 150 miles away, 200 miles away, 300 miles away, it's a meat grinder. And people are being ground up and killed in great numbers. It's a very strange set of circumstances. And the band played on, as it were. Yes. The, 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 the Titanic, its bow is in the water, and on the stern, they're dancing and partying. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Today, the Biden administration announcing it will provide a controversial new weapon to Ukraine, cluster munitions. Ukraine has been asking the U.S. for the cluster bomb since last year. President Biden today explaining why now. The Ukrainians are running out of ammunition. Specifically, artillery rounds. Allies struggling to keep them supplied as they fight through a tough counteroffensive. Colonel, the, the issue to me is this turning against Zelensky, the clown act is over the tough guy in the outfit the wife looks like she's wearing a dress stolen from a russian department store from western ukraine that they broke into a department store and stole a dress for her but they're ostracized on the world stage now just subtly not not in a major way they're still there they're at nato 
He's told, stop demanding so much. Even the British, I was shocked at, uh, I was quoting this before you uh, arrived. We were going through Twitter. And uh, one of the key statements that I saw was, even the British are, have had enough of him. But it was uh, the British defense secretary had some choice words. Here it is right here. Got to read it to you. Love this one. Britain's defense secretary, Ben Wallace, said the UK is not an Amazon delivery service for weapons to Ukraine and Kiev. And Kiev might be wise to let its supporters see gratitude. That's Britain's defense secretary, Ben Wallace. Well, Ben Wallace uh, has nobody to thank for this but himself, because he's been leading the charge along with everybody else in London and Washington to beef up the Ukrainians for the inevitable destruction of the Russians. Uh, you know, there's a problem, though, with all of this. And, and mm -hmm. this is something people are missing from this meeting in Vilnius. There's actually mm. problems. Problem number one mm. is that the British and the French have now promised long-range cruise missiles to the Ukrainians. So that what is that going to do? Well, would you give a, a man like Zelensky and his, his officers who are desperate? They know they've lost. Uh, their forces are disintegrating. Today, the Minister of Defense, Shoigu, announced an offensive uh, over, he calls it the Lyman Defensive, L-I, or Offensive, L-I-M-A-N, and that is aimed unambiguously, in my judgment, towards Kharkov. So the Russians are now launching an offensive up in the northeast corner uh, from their defensive line uh, towards Kharkov through Lyman. And what is this man Zelensky likely to do with weapons that could reach Russian territory? He's going to launch them. Why would you give him anything? Because he's desperate to drag us into the war. Why would the French and the British give him anything at this point? Anything that he could possibly use to harm Russians in Russia. That's his best hope. Drag NATO into the war. And he's only got a couple of serious allies right now. One of those is Poland. The Polish government remains certifiable. And they're they're. Lithuanian comrades in Vilnius are running them a close second. They, they continue to talk about intervening in Western Ukraine on their own in some fashion. Mm. They say, well, this is not part of NATO. But if you're a Russian and Polish-Lithuanian troops march into Western Ukraine, they're still members of NATO. The Russians are going to view that as a Trojan horse for NATO. Are they going to sit there and say, oh, well, that's fine. They're only Polish-Lithuanian troops. Are they insane? Yes, I think they're insane. You know, I did a podcast the other day with a Mr. Markovsky, Alex Markovsky. He writes for the American Thinker, and the title was, Is Nuclear War Inevitable? He's not, a, he's not a military man like you, but he's a very bright reader of history and a writer. And his argument is quite sanguine, to use an antiquated phrase. And his opening paragraph, I'd like to read it to you if I may, Colonel. Sure. Whether Putin has drawn out his saber without the need may be debatable, but the geopolitical reality is that he will not put it back without glory. Whatever the cost, Putin, who revived Russia and rebuilt its economy from the ruins of the collapsed Soviet Union, cannot permit his odyssey to end in this country's dissolution. What do you think? Well, he's correct. Uh, I don't think there's any chance of Russia being uh, dismembered, which was obviously one of the goals of Washington and its friends. Oh, yeah. Jake Sullivan and uh, our secretary of state, Anthony Blinken, the great man himself, the along with their neocon buddies. What is with Lindsey Graham? 
He's sounding like a bloodthirsty madman. Well, there's no difference between him, frankly, and everybody else. There are very few people that are sober minded about any of this because they think this is a war. War is something that happens on other people's soil remote uh -huh. from them. And of course, you know, you're now talking about Russia. That's no longer the case. Now, the good news is the Europeans are aware of it. But here you have the British and the French that are very, very incautiously providing these new long-range cruise missiles to Zelensky. He's going to use them for exactly what I said. He's desperate. The question is, what do we do? And remember, this is the United States, the president of the United States, who's sitting there talking to somebody on CNN and says, well, we don't have any more ammunition to send. So that's really why we're sending the cluster munitions. All right. Mm -hmm. What, why don't we have any more ammunition to send? It's back to the original point I was trying to make. The people at the top of defense have not been doing their jobs. You know, 40% of our attack submarines are currently in port for repairs. I read that the other day. But then again, remember, they have to install uh, trans bathrooms on the nuclear submarines. By, okay, I look, you know, you, I know I'm trying to bring there. some lightness to a dark place. Colonel. Yeah, well, that's there's no lightness with that regard. But the bottom line is, you know, the, the nuclear submarine fleet, the attack subs in particular, are vital to us. And if you go to war with Russia, if for some reason these cruise missiles result in a massive Russia, Russian counteroffensive that just sweeps all the way to the Polish border, the dumbest thing we could do is to threaten the Russians with nuclear weapons. The Russians can fill the Atlantic with their submarines. They could also put their subs into the Pacific where they'll be joined by the Chinese because the Chinese are going to sit around and wait for the Russians to be destroyed by the United States. We've created a, a catastrophe. So the author of that article is making a good point. The question is, who's in charge in Washington? Who are the so-called adults in the room? Well, that would be everybody, Joe Biden. Everybody would... poured buckets of filth and abuse all over Donald Trump. Yeah. He wasn't the adult. But he's the only one that stopped the he violence. He's a peacemaker. It's why I backed him in 2015. He was a man who wanted peace because he knows war is bad for business unless you're in the business of war. So, Colonel, you're a war man, but you're a scholar as well. People don't understand that you also have a doctorate, which I greatly respect because I work very hard for mine. They were not given out like, uh, you know, in the bottom of a cornflakes box when I earned mine. I almost died earning my doctorate, and I'm sure you worked very hard for yours. So you're not only a warrior, but you're a scholar. And that leads us to the next question. Forget the cluster munitions and the cruise missiles, which are escalations, escalation, escalation. There's no de-escalation. When is the de-escalation likely, if ever, to start? What will bring that? What would bring that about, Colonel? I think in Moscow, they are concluding that the only way to bring about an end to this and to de-escalate is to demonstrate that they are serious once again. <clears throat> I think this is part of the reason for some of Prigozhin's antics. You know, the uh, yeah. Russia's, Russia's answer to uh, reality TV, Evgeny Prigozhin. <laughs> but, but Prigozhin... One of the big arguments that he's been making, which resonates strongly inside Russia with the population, and I think with many, many senior officers, is, look, this has taken too long, Vladimir. This needs to end. And these people aren't going to take us seriously until we attack and end it. And we need to crush these people in Kiev. Hmm. Now, Vladimir Putin has not wanted to do that for a very simple reason. He doesn't want to provoke a war with the United States. He doesn't know what we'll do. 
He's afraid that there are unbalanced actors in Washington. Agreed. Who would turn to the nuclear trigger. Agreed. And so he's concerned about that. But I think now things are moving in the direction that say, look, President Putin, we've got to attack. We've got to sweep to the Dnieper River. We're going to have to cross that river. Then people will take us seriously. Now, when we say people will take us seriously, I think they're looking towards the Europeans. They've given up on us. They don't see any evidence that we're going to come around to understanding how serious this is. But the Germans get it. And behind the scenes, the Germans at Vilnius said, look, we're not interested in destroying Russia. We don't want any part of that. We Mm -hmm. don't want to dismember it. We want this to end. And that's been made very clear. They're not the only ones. The Italians feel that way. Just about everybody in NATO does, except Poland and Lithuania. That's good news. The problem is that everybody wants to remain a vassal of America. We want to stay on good terms. We like being defended. We like doing nothing. We like enjoying our welfare state. So Mm. please, please, America, don't abandon us. This is the argument. You've heard this before. Well, America is the leader of the world, and American leadership is vital. If Americans don't lead on this, we're in trouble. What they're really saying is, Please keep it up, United States, so we can continue to do what we've done for decades. Nothing. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Illegal cluster bombs and vacuum bombs being used by the Russians. Is there a red line for how much violence uh, will be tolerated against civilians in this manner that's illegal and potentially a war crime? It is. It would be. I don't have any confirmation of that. We have seen the reports. Uh, if if that were true, it would potentially be a war crime. You know, Colonel, if it's never done, if there were, were a vote were held in the next few weeks here in America about this war, my intuitive and rational feelings and thoughts tell me that it would be 75 to 25. Get the hell out of there. In the American people, that is. Against if they understood this, it. If they understood, but you, you probably think that they really think that Zelensky is the victim here, correct? Yeah. What have they been fed? Nothing you know, but nothing friend, but lies. A friend of mine, you know, I've known him for many years, and he said, "Well, you know, Doug, I, uh, I, I agree with you, but I'm really upset over what the Russians have done in Ukraine and so forth." And I said, "Who are you listening to?" Wait, who said that to you? This is just a good friend. Ah, got it. And, and, and I've known him for years, and he's an intelligent person. I said, "Well, who are you listening to?" Well, he's listening to CNN, MSNBC, ABC, Fox. What are they all saying? Same all thing. singing the same tune. You know, I got a message from someone in the media the other day, and it was not Tucker Carlson, who, by the way, I believe was fired because of his anti-war stand, amongst other things. I, I put two and two together because big corporations, as I have said for years, you have to study the interlocking corporate directorships. And if you look at who's on the board of News Corporation, and then you look at who's on the board of Martin Marietta, and who's on the board of Lockheed Martin, you'll find interlocking corporate directorships. People don't understand how this actually works on the level of the puppeteers. So anyone who takes the position that war is bad, they're not seen or heard in the media very often. You can't hear it on any of the media. Nobody who's anti-war is really heard, Colonel. But remember that the people you just described are also out of touch with reality. They don't understand that war is no longer something that you wage against hapless opponents. You're not fighting men in bedsheets and sandals and (laughs) AK-47s. 
You're taking on the Russian state and its population. And in contrast to our country, which is by far, far more divided than anybody is willing to admit on a yeah. whole range of levels, Russia is united. It's it a is. cohesive society. Yes, it's united. And, and Putin has about an 89% approval rating. The biggest challenge for him is to keep people from under keep people to in a, in a position of, of what I would call balance, because the average Russian thinks that all these Ukrainians should be smashed into bits. They're completely unsympathetic. He's mm -hmm. trying to look at the larger picture. And he also wants to make sure when this ends that Russia can live with Ukraine, whatever it is, as long as it's neutral. I mean, nobody in Washington gives a damn about any of that. They think that we are the great power that can determine where the world goes. They've lost their minds. This is not 1992. The Roman Empire all over again. Pat Buchanan wrote a great book 20 years ago called A Republic, Not an Empire. I'll never forget that title. Well put. But we are acting as an imperial power. So we're low on ammunition. 40% of our submarines, nuke submarines, are not operational. God knows what else we're not being told about a dysfunctional military under Joe Biden and uh, Defense Secretary, whatever his name is. Cluster well, we bomb. The, we had the Air Force Chief of Staff, who is now being nominated to be the next chairman, who has publicly stated that he wants to reduce the number of white pilots and officers in the Air Force to roughly 42%. There are too many white men in the Air Force. That's the African-American being uh, pushed forward. Is that the one? Yes. Yeah. So he's Air using ra ra race-based stupidity. Yeah, well, I, I not so jokingly said uh, not too long ago, and I was immediately taken off the air, that the day may come that someone may say that all those crosses in the military cemeteries make them uncomfortable. Because they're not Christian and they want the crosses removed from the military cemeteries. I said something related to that. I got thrown off the air immediately. We're, we're only a breath away from this level of insanity. Well, the, uh, the passion for atheism and nihilism and socialism uh, is pretty strong. There's no question about it. It's sad. We, that's one of the reasons I think we lack humility. Uh, there, there is no moral compass anymore because we have excluded religious principles from the discussion. Without religious principles, what's your moral compass? Well, that's right. There is no morality because we've been told that morality is very personal. We all determine what our own morality is. There is no guiding principle. There's no lodestar. There's no God. There's no north, south, east, or west. If it feels good, do it. Why not do it in the road? If you feel like fornicating with a uh, a hydrant. Go ahead and do that. We'll put it on the front of Time magazine as a new lifestyle, the, the, the hydrant human as a new form of life. Uh, you can only go so far with this madness. And when I was young, we were told the reason America always won wars. I was a kid in the 50s is because we respected human life and the Japanese didn't. They would sacrifice any number of men, I was told in the 50s as a kid. Because life didn't matter in those countries. But we in America, we revered human life. We respected human life. Is that still true? Well, I, I think it was partially true then. I, I don't think it was completely true, or I doubt very seriously we'd have used the atom bomb. But we did because we felt it was the best way to end a war that would surely kill many, many, many more Americans. 
And I know from my parents who lived through that war, my father was in the Pacific and he commanded one of those uh, mm. Higgins boats. He did. He was in Okinawa at the time. And uh, he said everybody was cheering when they found out about the uh, attack on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He said the hatred of the Japanese, of course, was overwhelming, but everybody knew this would this would result in an end of the war and everybody wanted to go home. I mean, if you, you know, if you've seen the movie Patton and Patton says, well, we ought to take on these Russians right now while we have the army to do it. Sounded great, George, but everybody at the time wanted to go home. Everybody had enough of the war. Patton spoke to several divisions at the end of the war in uh, May, June timeframe. And as he went around talking to them, he said, I just wish I could go with you and kill Japanese. You're going to get the opportunity to do that. And he was booed off the stage. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted to listen to him. There were riots because, you know, fighting the Germans was no easy task. And we never did very well against them. We never exceeded a one-for-one loss against the Germans, Mm. even though we were fighting a German army that was a shadow of what it had formerly been because Mm. they had so many casualties. So when this thing ended, people said, are you out of your mind? I'm lucky to be alive. Uh, You know, now you want me to go to the Pacific? Forget it. We weren't very anxious to fight anybody. And that's not a bad thing, doctor. I'm not criticizing that. I'm sympathetic. No, I'm not seeing it in any way. I, I once did this on the radio many years ago, and a Japanese caller, an American Japanese, said, Michael, did you know that even old women in Japan were taught to make knives out of bamboo? And every citizen in Japan was trained to kill the Americans who were coming. Even the old women were trained to kill. Mm-hmm. I, I said, you're kidding. He said, no, I'm not kidding. He said, that's what was going on in Japan before the bombs were dropped. They would have fought to the last Japanese. Yeah, which was, of course, insane and unnecessary. And I think even today, privately, you know, educated, thoughtful Japanese will admit that. But, you know, we're now in a different world. Yes. People in Washington are not. The people in Washington think about everything as though this were mid-20th century. And Mm -hmm. we're jockeying for position. We have to stop them you know, uh, at the border somewhere. They, they see a world that's full of enemies and they don't see a world where our biggest problems are not overseas. They're here. Oh, they, they don't see the southern border and the cartels and the drugs that yeah. they're blind to. Yeah, completely. And they don't they don't view it as existential. I, I'm convinced that obviously somebody somewhere is profiting from the drug trade and the no. illegal human trafficking. There's no question about that. But there's just a complete failure to come to grips with reality. We, we have no reason to fight Russia. There's no particular reason why we should fight Russians. There's no particular reason why we should fight Chinese. There are no differences that we have with China, as Donald Trump pointed out, that we cannot address economically on a, on a level playing field in business. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't like the Chinese that are you know, taking your IP, your intellectual property. Well, then why let them into your laboratories? Why let them into your universities? Why are you letting them come into the country by the thousands over the southern border? You know, this is insane. Uh That's where you you focus. You don't decide to go to war with 1.4 billion people 10,000 miles away. That's just ludicrous. Home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. More than 100 nations signed the Convention on Cluster Munitions, a treaty outlawing their use 
but the U.S. did not. I discussed this with our allies, discussed this with our friends up on the hill. And uh, we're in a situation where Ukraine continues to be brutally attacked across the board. Ukraine assuring the U.S. they would minimize chances of civilian harm by not using the rounds in civilian and urban environments. Dr. Colonel McGregor, putting on your strategic intelligence hat, which you've been doing throughout this podcast, but now focusing your Dr. Colonel credentials for a moment. How does this war proceed and how does it end? If everything remains at a a dull roar, I think that the Europeans will break with us finally. And probably the Germans, the Italians, maybe some others will simply say, we've come as far as we can go with you, President Biden. We can't go any further. And they will ask for a meeting with President Putin. And if they tell Putin that they will suspend all aid to Ukraine, Mm -hmm and that they're willing to sit down with no preconditions for peace talks. And I think Putin will sit with them and the Europeans collectively can iron this out. Hmm. That's the best way for this to go, because no one in Washington will admit to a mistake. I mean, how how do you admit and say, look, we were wrong. Russia is not weak. Russia is not vulnerable. Russia is not a third world country. Uh, It's not a gas station. Remember mm -hmm. these stupid comments that came up? Yes. You know, we were all wrong. We got ourselves into something we really didn't want to get into. And ultimately, we'd really rather do business and go to war. Nobody wants to say that. So we're not going to fix anything. We can't lead much longer. The Europeans are going to have to take the lead. Well, you know, we have a presidential election coming up and they're all jockeying for position, including the senile. And I don't know whether Biden's playing a big chin gigante. One day he looks like the senile guy in the bathrobe. The next day, he's sharp as attack. I don't know whether it's an act that he uses to his advantage or he really is in and out. A senility, by the way, is not a flat line, as we all know who studied it. It's never a flat line straight down. There's ups, there's downs, there's good days, bad days. There's good. Mo- you know, he's good for 15 minutes at a time. He didn't even go to dinner the other night because they had to put him to, to bed with the, uh, the blankie. But then he got up in the morning and probably could do a good 15 minute act. It's frightening to watch this. And, and we, we see senility, we see madness, we see venality, uh, profiteering, but no intelligence, no sobriety. No one's saying enough is enough. We've got to end this. Are there any? I do see, by the way, cracks in the edifice of the left. You've got people appearing on the left who want to run, who are calling the, uh, Biden and the team warmongers, all the way from uh, Kennedy to uh, Cornell West, who I detest on virtually every other issue he were now suddenly he realizes that the Democrats have become crazed warmongers. Do you think that the leftist coalition is starting to shatter? I think you and I know and have known for a long time that uh, there, there really are not two parties. There's the uniparty. That's okay. the first problem. And there's too much consensus in support of bad policies that enrich their members. Mm hmm. So what you've really got now are large numbers of traditional conservative Republicans and Democrats. And, and look, I grew up with Democrats in North Philadelphia. These people back in the 50s and 60s were patriotic, solid American citizens. I never saw any evidence that they wanted anything radically different from the Republicans. They were both devoted to the country. Right. RF, RFK Jr. represents those people. And, you know, that's why I have said repeatedly 
we need another party. And you'll bring in the Trump Republicans with the RFK Democrats, and you will suddenly discover that you have a healthy majority. Now, I can't get there. I'm not a politician. I don't know how to do it. But I think that's in the interest of the American people, because right now, I don't see much good news coming out of the uh, institutional parties. Are you going to throw your hat in the ring? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I know you're not a politician. Uh, listen, you know, we badmouth politicians and most of the time they deserve it. But, you know, getting yourself elected is no easy task. Oh, it's horrible. And it's you got to put yourself and your family through barbarism just to just to reach the finish line. So I don't hold that against them. But the problem well, it, is yeah. that we've reached a point where we really, really, really need men, women who are more devoted to the country than they are to their own pockets. Colonel, from a military point of view, I know your time is limited. I've never seen a busier man than you these days, by the way. You're everywhere. I'm sure you could run for office. But I know you don't want to, a Colonel. I, seriously, now, we're being even more serious now or about as serious as we've been today, which is good. If the Russians were to unleash a blitzkrieg of their own cruise missiles in a preemptive strike on Kiev and taking out the leadership, would the war end? That's a good question. Uh, you know, we can't say yes or no because we just don't know about the effects. But if those Kinshaw missiles uh, are they're hypersonic and if they strike the right targets, I'm sure the decapitation would probably help. Uh, there are a lot of Russians who have privately said they think, and I'm talking about military men, uh, the whole business will end when a Ukrainian commander steps forward and says, that's enough. I'm speaking for the Ukrainian army. We've had it and we're prepared to stop. He'd be killed. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what that's that's what's happened so far. But we know that desertions are way up. We've had platoons and companies in the Ukrainian army surrender to the Russians. Remember that most of the people fighting each other speak roughly the same language. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was an incident just about a week ago where a company commander said, I, uh, he called the Russian opposite across where he said, I'm trying to evacuate my wounded. And out of uh, maybe a force of 120, he had 30 severely wounded people. Everybody else was exhausted and running out of ammunition. And he said, the chain of command will not evacuate the wounded. They won't take them out. And uh, this sort of thing has happened before. And so uh, he said, I, the only way I can keep my men alive is to surrender. So I'm going to surrender. So the, the Russians have been very smart from the very beginning. They have always treated Ukrainian soldiers that surrendered very well. And so he moved his whole company over there, and that was the end of it. Gee, I didn't read that in like, the New York Times. No, I, no, I read that the to. Russians are raping and uh, cutting uh, the ears off Ukrainians. No, in fact, uh, I keep trying to tell people that if you're looking for an analog for the Russian army, you're much closer to the czarist army that today have nothing to do with the Soviet model at all. Isn't that something? Well, what it says is something that you and I know to be true, and that is that the underlying identities of people rooted in culture, religion, language, and so forth, they don't change. You know, when the Soviet Union fell apart, there was a joke in Soviet studies circles People said, well, what happened to the Soviet man? Because they always talked about the new Soviet man. <laughs> it said, you know, the whole thing fell apart. Now we have Ukrainians, Russians, Lithuanians, Latvians, Estonians, Kazakhs, Uzbeks, Tartars, you know. Well, of course not, because those underlying identities are real. The whole Soviet business was just nonsense. 
And incidentally, I think that's what we're seeing in the United States. We're trying to construct new new people, the, some new artificial construct, because people aren't real. We're all fungible. We don't mm-hmm. matter. We don't need standards for admission to colleges. We don't need standards for discipline in the military. You know, we, we'll just all live together. And after all, everything's an artificial construct. Well, we know that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Government zero. Yep. Book I wrote a number of years ago. Of course, I took it from the from the communist Chinese who took it from the French revolutionaries who people don't know remade their calendar into a revolutionary calendar. They actually erased French history and changed the calendar. Well, they were the first real communists. Absolutely. But we're going through the same revolution right now in America in a little slower motion. Yeah. I mean, you're a scholar. Look, when the revolution ended, what was it, 1799, Bonaparte, who finally finally rises from the from the ashes, says, that's it, revolution is over. Mm-hmm. And what happens to France? Goes back to being French. <laughs> when will America go back to being America, Colonel? That's a that's a loaded question. You know, <laughs> of course, I don't is. have an answer. Come on now. You can fire that loaded gun. No, it's, that's that's tough. And I don't have an easy answer, but that question's on everybody's mind. You know that. I do. Lots of Americans are asking the same question. We're, we're not enthusiastic about destroying Civil War monuments. We're not anxious to uh, denigrate the achievements of our, our, our ancestors or the people that preceded us. You know, this, is, this is nonsense. We love the country. So the question is, uh, what happens? Uh, you know, it, it'll be reversed. I, I'm confident that will happen. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I have people in my family who are much smarter than I am, and they say it's all over, can't be rebuilt. It, Biden in his few short years and his crazy left-wing minion have destroyed the country forever, all the way down to the kindergarten <laughs> level. And I am, strangely enough, an optimist in the midst of my pe- pessimism. I totally believe that America will recover. Well, in uh, 2001, in November, I was part of a a small delegation of uniformed uh, personnel, people, officers led by a three-star admiral. We went to Moscow to open uh, or begin relations with what was then the Russian General Staff Academy. And uh, we had actually meetings with the members of the Russian General Staff. It was a very interesting week. One of the things that I was shown was this magnificent, one of the most magnificent uh, cathedrals I have ever seen, just enormous, right in the middle of Moscow. And they showed me a photograph of what Moscow looked like just 20 years prior. And there was this huge, ugly, Stalinist building. And apparently this cathedral in, in a similar form had stood there at that location for hundreds of years. Stalin tore it down and built this ugly, you know, socialist, realist building. Mm-hmm. It was an eyesore. And so as soon as this was over, this revolution ended in Russia, and Russia was was becoming Russian again. What did they do? They tore that stuff down, and they rebuilt the old cathedral, only it was bigger and better and more beautiful than it had been previously. Well, so my view a- is, no, that this won't last. We need a populist nationalist here. Trump tried to do it. Look what they did to him. Well, if you go to Israel, you go to Israel, you can visit a museum there that'll show you all of these relics that uh, were rescued from the Holocaust. 
Well, I, I, I was talking about Maimonides the other day on a, on a YouTube piece. And I, a friend of mine is in Tiberias right now, sent me a picture of the tomb of Maimonides. And I try to explain the wisdom of his philosophy, mm-hmm. which transcended the religion of Judaism and became philosophy per se. And speaking of art, before we go, uh, I'm a, the son of an antique stealer and I collect a little bit. And I'm looking at your art. So is that a Remington on your right ear? Yes, it is. It's a true but, Remington. Yes, but it's a, it's a copy, obviously. It's a bronze. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a duplicate of what sits in the White House. Called no, no, we, we, my father sold bronzes, and I have dozens of, of French bronzes from the 1890s, and it's in very good shape, by the way. How do you keep it so shiny? You also have a little Napoleon on your left shoulder. That's right. Well, that's, my son changed it out. We, I, I have several busts of composers. Oh. So, so Beethoven and Wagner had changed places, and then suddenly I looked over there and my son had replaced the latest composer with Bonaparte. Hold on. I've got to show you a Bonaparte. You got to <laughs> Look at this beauty that I bought about five years ago online. It's a, it's a perfect little N- Napoleon. Let's see. That looks bit. like a lot like mine, except that you have a, a something more elaborate on. Yeah. Here's a, yeah, you, you have an elaborate thing on his on his hat there. I don't have that. Did it you add that? With, it came there with a medal on his chest and and something on his hat. <laughs> you but got it's a, a better very, deal than I did. <laughs> it's a it's a nice piece of work. What is the painting uh, of? Oh, that's a that's a very very old print that uh, I found in Vienna uh, about twenty years ago. I was walking uh, along the street past a, an art store. And I thought that was a brilliant uh, print. It's of the uh, Königssee. It's actually in in Bavaria. And it was printed in Berlin about 120 years ago. And so uh, I I went in there and and I said, I don't really want the frame. He said, that's not a problem, but I'd like to buy the print. So I got the print and then subsequently added frames. I I do those things. I like it. I like it very much. Colonel, your erudite nature is a phenomenally beautiful thing for me. We're living in very difficult times for those of us who know history and do not want to repeat it. And I do pray that you're right, that this too shall pass. Shall it pass? And when? I mean, when? Does anyone know? Will Putin be forced to fire his long-range missiles and take out the leadership without provoking a nuclear exchange with the United States? I think that we've been fortunate thus far that we had this man Putin running the show over there because there are far more zealous radical nationalists standing in the wings who would have already taken action, I think, that is unwarranted. Uh, I hope that we will exercise some restraint. I just don't see it happening immediately, but I think the Europeans are closer to this. Look at their economies. Europe's in terrible shape. It is. Uh, it isn't very bad. Uh, Germany has gone into a deep recession. Uh, it's being de- deindustrialized by uh, bad policies. Oh, the green policies. Yeah. And the jobless rate is rising. Look at France. Look at Holland, where they try to destroy the farms. Yes, of course. One of some of the best uh, agricultural sectors in the world. But look how insane these people are. Well, they're globalists. They bought into this sort of neo-Marxist view of the world. They're back in the believing everything's artificial. It's well, let's, ho- let's hope that Dmitry Medvedev, the deputy secretary of Russia's Security Council, said late Tuesday, just the other night, yeah. that the increase in military assistance to Ukraine by NATO alliance brings World War Three closer. 
Well, remember that he was in charge when uh, President Obama decided to attack Libya. Obviously, it wasn't his idea. It was Hillary Clinton's. And it was hatched along with the British and to a lesser extent, the French. And when this happened, uh, there was an inquiry made of, of uh, President Medvedev asking him, you know, did he object? And he went along with it. He said, well, we don't like it, but we'll we'll go along with it. The Russian people have never forgotten that. Hmm. He was viewed as a sellout, as someone that had sold out former friends of Russia. Who, who Medvedev. Medvedev. And so Medvedev frequently says ridiculous things to boost his position with the Russian electorate. Uh, we need to understand that. A lot of what he says can be traced back to the beating he took when he said, sure, go ahead and attack Libya. Uh, and Libya was a client state of Russia at the time. Sure, for a long time. Well, last point. I know you're busy and we've said a lot. When Kissinger was interviewed a year ago, I think I brought this up once before, and he called for peace. He was roundly condemned by the left, by the neocons, by the warhawks. And he hadn't been heard. He wasn't heard from for, for months after that. And then suddenly when he wanted to be included at the, uh, I think, the G7 summit, and he knew he would be excluded, he suddenly came out in favor of war again. Because they said, Hank, unless you come out for war, you're not being invited to the parties. And we know right. Hank, Hank never wants to miss an opening. Right. So where is he today, a guy like Kissinger? Do you know? I think he's, you know, there's no difference between him and most of the people inside Washington. Everybody wants to be on the A-list for parties. You know, if, you, if you're if you not part of the gang, if you don't sign on for the consensus, you're out. I mean, I don't know how many times I've had West Point classmates say, gosh, Doug, it's so bad. It's so, so awful. I said, what's wrong? Mm. You just don't get it. You know, you're worried about all these things. They don't matter. Mm -hmm. You need to get back on the team. In other words, you've been ostracized from your West Point classmates? Well, well, from many of them and from the military in general, because, you know, you've got to be on the team. The, the team, team says this. Yeah. Get with the team. Look at all the ridiculous statements being made by Petraeus and Keene and others about the Ukrainians. Oh, the Ukrainians are wonderful. They're brilliant. They're killing thousands of Russians. The Russian army's falling apart. How many times have we heard that? How many times have we heard, well, you know, this offensive the Ukrainians are launched is going to be devastating. They're mastering combined arms warfare. <laughs> you know, this is this is all nonsense, but that's the message. That's it. You want to be on the team? That's the song you sing. I heard and, the you know, same my thing. My answer is, I don't want to be on your team. Thank you. Well, it's difficult being a party of one, but ultimately that's what it becomes. That you, That's who, who you have to become to survive in this country today. You have to rely upon your own, your own compass based upon some lodestones other than that of the media industrial complex. Carl McGregor, it's been a long while since uh, I've had the opportunity and pleasure of speaking with you on the Michael Savage podcast. I see you're everywhere. And if you do throw your hat in the ring, let me know, because I'll be glad to pick it up and throw it around for you. Colonel, take care of yourself. You are Stay so here. valued in this world. Sure. We need you. Thank you Thank so you. much, sir. Yep. God A bless. Pleasure. Thank you again. Bye now. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership 
and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.